Make sure you check out our online store where we work with our graphic designer to create stunning garment and product designs that feature a wide variety of aircraft types such as British fighters, World War II aircraft, American bombers, Russian fighters and much more. You can pick your favourite designs and personalise any items within our Redbubble store that range from clothing right the way through to stationery. All of our designs feature our logo so you can show your support for the channel while getting a quality product. You can head to our website aircrewinterview.tv and click store or go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash AC interview. Thank you and enjoy. So Matthew, when did you start becoming interested in aviation? Ooh, um, as far as I can remember, basically when I was maybe six, eight years old, um, I was when I was a kid. I, I used to travel a lot because uh, I went to Australia to see my family. My mother is Australian, and so I took to planes really early in my life uh, and a few times. So I guess that has to do uh, with it. And also, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I, I used to go a lot um, next to Salon de Provence, which is the uh, the airbase where you have the uh, aerobatic team, so the uh, Patrouille de France. And so I could see them uh, practice a lot about the, uh, the the house when I was a kid. So obviously that helps a lot. And uh, <laughs> and so at first I, I wanted to fly, and then my focus was uh, on on fighter jets. So I wanted to uh, to fly fighter jets. Brilliant. So what year did you actually uh, join the Air Force? Um, at the end of 1998. So I was I was 20 21 years old I think, uh, just after my studies. And basically it was time to to give it a go. I uh, didn't know obviously if I was going to succeed, but. Uh, uh, so I tried and passed the, uh, the exam, the test. It's like a two, three days test in Paris oh, wow. where you, you, you're tested on a lot of things like uh, sports, English, uh, math uh, and, and brain stuff, you know, and, and a bit of simulator. And uh, apparently I succeeded. So uh, then I was called uh, to join the Air Force and you start with a seven days, a seven flight selection process. And if you go, uh, if you pass the seven flight selection process, then you start the training. And so basically that's what happened for me. Uh, beginning of 1999, I started the training and, and went fine. Yeah. And is it like um, the British system or the American system? Did you, did you have to have a degree to go in the Air Force or could you come um, right outside school? No, there's two ways of, of becoming a pilot in France. The first one, uh, the one that's most known, I would say, is you need to have a degree in mathematics and physics. Okay. So you have to be... a uh, like three three years uh, study before you enter the uh, the air force, and then you have some more studies to become an engineer first, and then a pilot. In fact, and this is the way to uh, to have a, a long career in the air force. So, to uh, your first part of the career would be to be a fighter pilot or a pilot, and then it would be to go in headquarters and have responsibilities and become a colonel, general, and so on. Okay, uh, and the second uh, way to become a pilot is what I did. It's just after the uh, your high school degree. You can uh, you can start after your high school degree and, and pass the the test. And if you make it, you'll be uh, in in the air force to become a pilot. But you will never have uh, great responsibilities. You will never be in a, in an office in a headquarters, and so you're you're limited to a captain rank. Uh, and you, you're supposed to not be more than a captain. And, and the career is like 20 years, 25 years career, not more. So that's what I chose um, because first I was not that good in, in school, so I didn't want to go in, in those long studies. And also because what I wanted to do is fly and be a pilot. 
the office work was not something I, I wanted to do. So uh, I thought this was the best career for me and I'm really happy it turned out to be exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah, it definitely worked out for you, Matthew. Mm, yeah. uh, so can you talk us through some of the aircraft you started training on and how long did that take? Yeah, so what I'm going to tell you is what happened like 22 years ago. Uh, it's probably a bit different today, but I'm not aware of uh, exactly how it works today to become a pilot. But things uh, like probably like in, in Great Britain, things change because of the money, because of uh, new aircraft and so on. Uh, ours are not exactly the same. But basically what I did was um, the first part of the training is uh, almost a year on the uh, Epsilon, which is a small uh, propeller aircraft, uh, 300 horsepower, I think. Um, and it was made for the military, so it's two uh, two seater, but uh, front and back, you know. So the, the usually the student is in the front, and the, the instructor is in the back. And so you you learn basic flying, basically, uh, a bit of uh, uh, close formation flying and stuff like that. But mostly it's uh, just learning the basics of flying. Okay. And at the end of this training, uh, they decide if you go for fighter jets, helicopters, or uh, transport. Um, so if you go to a fighter jet, what, what I wanted to do, uh, next step was four months on the Tucano that you had also in, in Great Britain. Um, so much bigger aircraft, heavier aircraft, turboprop. Um, I think it was limited like, like level 240 because you had oxygen mask. So you could climb higher and do bigger missions, uh, longer range. Um, and you would learn a bit more of the uh, basic fighting maneuvers uh, with this one. Um, and then you would go on to fly the Alpha Jet. And the Alpha Jet was a bigger deal because it was the first jet, of course, two engines, and, and you could almost fly like a fighter jet. So uh, you had a, um, advanced training for the fighter aircraft. And so overall, all this, that takes two and a half years. And after two and a half years, you have your wings, your fighter pilot wings. And then you have one more school on the Alpha Jet again, but uh, this time using weapons, and you're uh, learning how to uh, to uh, deliver uh, weapons like bombs, uh, rockets, and guns. And once you've passed this step, uh, you affected. The, they they send you in a fighter squadron, and this is when you really start fly, flying fighter jets. So three years, almost three years of training, I think. Brilliant. So did you have a type you wanted to go on to fly? Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to fly the type I wanted to fly because uh, at the end of CASO, uh, so the last school on the Alpha Jet, you, uh, you have to go to a fighter squadron and they decide for you basically. So you make your choices and some are happy and some are not because they don't have their, their, their choices. And at, the funny story is at that time I was not happy because I, I didn't have the aircraft I wanted. Um, I had the Mirage Fox one, which was already quite an old aircraft. Mm. And that's not what I wanted to fly. I wanted to fly modern jets, so I wanted the Mirage 2000D or Dash 5. And basically, I'm a tall guy, and I was too tall to fly the Mirage Fox 1. So, in fact, I went to the squadron. They were surprised to see uh, such a tall guy arriving in the squadron. <laughs> uh, so I was measured again with uh, uh, some somebody from the medical uh, area and so on, and put in an aircraft with all the flight gear. And they said, okay, it's going to be too risky for the ejection seat. So you're not going to fly Mirage Fox 1. So what do you want to do? So I, I was lucky enough to choose on my own and say, okay, I want to go to Nancy and fly Mirage 2000D. So that's what I got. So I, I, I had like maybe two, three months later than my uh, mates, but I had my, uh, my wanted squadron. So I was really happy. 
So certainly a bit of luck there. That yeah, there's a lot of like <laughs> luck has a lot to do in a fighter pilot's career, and I had a lot of luck. So <laughs> brilliant. So we're here to talk about the Mirage 2000D. So what yeah. were your first thoughts on the aircraft? Uh, it's a it's a marvelous aircraft. So obviously today it's it looks a bit old. It is a bit old now, but like 20 years ago when I started flying it, it was it was state of the art in French in France. We we didn't have Rafale yet, so it was. Um, we, the, the two best aircraft we had at the time, at that time was Mirage 2000-5 for the air-to-air and Mirage 2000-D for the air-to-ground. It was the only uh, aircraft we had that was uh, laser-guided capable um, because the Jaguar was no longer in service. So, so it was the last one with the uh, laser designation pod. And we had all the cool stuff or cool weapons. We, we went to all the cool exercises around the world. So, yeah, it was a great experience. It's a wonderful jet. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it there, but can you maybe talk in a bit more detail about uh, the role of the D and the differences between the other Mirages? I, th- I believe there was a Mirage 2000M as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, when, when I entered the Air Force, there were four types of Mirage 2000. There were two air defense versions, which was the uh, 2000C, the first one, and the 2000-5, okay? Uh, basically, they look alike. Um, all, both are single-seater, gray and blue uh, camouflage. But the C version is the old one, which is only Fox One uh, shooter, so uh, has only two uh, Fox One missiles. Um, and uh, the Dash Five was the modern uh, version of this one. It's an ad- update, and it has um, Fox Three capabilities, and it carries like uh, six missiles uh, instead of only four. Um, and it was really uh, uh, the, the engine is exactly the same, the airframe is the same, uh, but uh, the avionics is much more modern with glass cockpit and so on. And the radar is the, the biggest advantage it had. Uh, it's a multi-target uh, radar capabilities. Uh, so this was the uh, the main air-to-air uh, uh, aircraft we had. And then for the air-to-ground, you have the D and the N. Okay, uh, So the N version is initially was only for um, uh, nuclear uh, dissuasion, so the tactical uh, strategic part of France, of French Air Force. And it has been declined into the D version, which is uh, standard air-to-ground uh, version. Mm-hmm. But it was updated with uh, um, better radar for um, terrain-following radar, um, with the laser de- designation pod, obviously, and with all the, the, the weapons that goes with the pod, so uh, laser-guided bombs, missiles. Um, and later on, the uh, scout missile, missile, which is basically like the Storm Shadow. And can you talk us through some of your ground training on the Mirage uh, 2000D? Yeah, well, basically, uh, every pilot that's in the Air Force needs to uh, learn uh, how to uh, release real weapons uh, before you go into operations. So we have a lot of training for this. We, we start with uh, small training rounds, which are little blue bombs that you can find on, on photos sometimes, uh, like 60 kil- 16 kilos or something like that. So small bombs um, that simulate basically the same ballistic as real bombs. So you can train the, the, the same uh, um, weapons uh, delivery profile and so on. And you go on, a, we have several ranges that we can use those weapons on. Uh, so some in the north, north part of France where the tactical squadrons are and some in the south. Um, so this is what you do uh, almost immediately when you start flying the aircraft. You start learning to use those weapons. And then uh, maybe once or twice a year, we would go into uh, 
um, bigger exercises in south of France because we have a big range there where you can use uh, actual weapons, live weapons. And so we will deploy all the squadron to Caso Air Base, which is uh, not far away from Bordeaux, so very nice area to to, yeah. to work. <laughs> and um, and we would uh, all the squadron would be there for two weeks, three weeks, and we would deploy the aircraft, the mechanics, and and so on. And we would use um, the the live weapons on the range, and so we would learn how to use uh, GBU-12, Mark 82s. Um, uh, on, on, uh, at sea, we could all, also drop uh, bigger bombs, like uh, 2,000 pounds, uh, GB24, and so on. So, yeah, that's, that was a nice, nice time of year because, you know, you would be two weeks with the squadron, daytime flying uh, and, and dropping bombs and training and hard and so on, and in the evening enjoying uh, the area around Bordeaux and so on. So it was nice. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So through this initial uh, training phase, did you get paired with a uh, backseater or whistle um, uh, through this period? Or no, not, not, for the, not for the initial training, because the way we do it in the French Air Force, uh, it's the same when you're a, a student uh, in the school and in when you're in a squadron, uh, you fly with everybody because the, the, the aim is to mix um, everybody together so that the training and uh, the way we work is almost the same for, for everybody. Uh, because if, you, if you're paired too early with somebody, uh, the risk is that you start training together, have your automatism together, and then you you would be in dif- in trouble when you try to fly with somebody else because maybe you would not find the same way of working, you know. So by by tr- changing all the time the, the the crews, it's a way of being sure that everybody works the same. Um, so this is how we do it in general in France. But when we do specific exercises or operations, then we would be paired. Uh, in order to improve uh, the way you work, because uh, um, when you, when you're paired for this kind of uh, like let's say maple flag or whatever, um, the first few flights you will have to find out exactly uh, the, the the way to work together. But then afterwards, it will be a really uh, quicker and smoother than uh, than to change all the time. So that's how we do it, and it I, I found it quite efficient. Brilliant. So let's just go back a bit. Can you remember your first flight and kicking in the afterburner for the first time? Yeah, so the first flight on Mirage 2000, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly the first flight because uh, when you do the first flight, you have a backseater. So you're really uh, concentrating on, on what you do because you know yes, somebody is watching you and you, you need to <laughs> make it right. So, so basically, usually you do exactly how it's supposed to be done, like in the manual, you know, and you don't have time to enjoy it really because it, it's too fast, it goes too fast and uh, you concentrate it too much. But I remember my first solo because you don't have anybody with you and you're on your own. Uh, and and uh, yeah, the first solo was something really impressive. Um, for instance, when, when I did my first solo on the Epsilon, the Tucano, the Alpha Jet, it was a relief, you know, because I was on my own. I didn't have an instructor anymore. So I was, wow, so good and happy and relief really so i was not stressed at all when i did the first flight on mirage 2000 uh, it was a single seater it's the first time in my life i, I have a single seater um, it's a, a huge jet you have to climb a ladder to uh, to go inside it so small f- compared to others but for me it was a big jet and uh, and and it, it's a really expensive jet and it's powerful and it's uh, so i i felt some stress and pressure going on my own uh, to to this aircraft uh, but luckily once you shut down the cockpit and start the uh, engine startup and so on everything goes uh, smoothly because your training is good but it was uh, really um, for me it was the accomplishment 
uh, of my dr childhood dream, you know, so uh, something uh, awesome. And when you when you use the power setting and you put afterburners, something you, you cannot describe, really, it's, it's kicking in your, your butt, you're, pro you're sent to, towards uh, the runway uh, in a, really uh, fast. Uh, and I was with my my leader. I had to follow my leader for this flight. So I was just behind him, seeing his engine uh, light up, the, the flame behind going away, and me uh, just behind him. It was great souvenir. Yeah, absolutely. And did you always fly with uh, tanks on? No. Uh, when you do your initial training in Orange, you fly the C and B version, so uh, the air defense version, but you don't use it in air defense because I was going to be on the strike version, so no use for that. But you, you mostly you are in an air-to-air -air configuration, so you have only one tank, a center tank, which allows you to uh, to pull uh, 9Gs and, and fly uh, supersonic, so, so not much limitations. Uh, but then when you go to Nancy and you fly the D version, yeah, at, at first you have a lot of uh, flights with the fuel tanks because that's the standard configuration for the strike version. You have two big tanks in order to increase the range. Otherwise, the Mirage is too small, no, not enough fuel to have some range. So sometimes when we do air-to-air -air combat training, because we have to, uh, obviously, even if you're a striker, you need to know how to defend yourself. So we do some air-to-air -air combat training. And in this case, you, you would have only the center tank. And it totally changes the jet, you know. Uh, because of the fly-by-wire system, uh, when you have the two tanks, you, uh, you have the fly-by-wire in in uh, air-to-ground configuration, I think it's called. And so the, the aircraft is and it will not allow you to pull more than 6 Gs. And so the only thing you have to uh, watch out is to the speed because the speed is not uh, protected. So you, you need to be sure to maintain below uh, Mach 0.95 because of the fuel tanks. That's all. The, the G load is uh, done by the aircraft. Uh, when you take off those tanks, the, there's no limitations anymore. So you can you can pull uh, nine Gs. Uh, you can go supersonic like that. So yeah, it's totally flying. So what was it like working with a backseater? Oh, it's great. It's a great experience. Um, when you don't know anything about flying a fighter jet when you're a young student pilot, sometimes it can be scary to have a backseater because you have a backseater during all your training career, but it's an instructor, so it's not the same, you know. Mm. When you fly on a Mirage 2000D, it's not an instructor anymore, it's a navigator, he's not a pilot. So older than you and he's supposed to train you, uh, he, he, he is a navigator, not a pilot. So it's a totally different way of uh, thinking the feeling the thing, you know, um, and I really enjoyed it. Most of my best friends in the squadron, they were navigators, in fact, because when you fly with them, uh, you, you create a relationship that that's really uh, uh, difficult to describe because you, you work really tight with someone, but you don't look at him in the eyes, you know, because he's sitting two meters behind you. Mm -hmm. He trusts you with his life because basically he doesn't have the, the abilities to fly the aircraft. So he's relying on you for that. Um, so it's it's really an amazing relationship. And I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Matthew, did you ever conduct DACT in your training phase? Yes, uh, that's that's a fun part of the training, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, first in France, we we sometimes train with other aircraft. So when you fly uh, against another Mirage, it's the same, so it doesn't count much. But when you fly against a Mirage Fox One, let's say uh, at the time, that's that's funny because uh, it's an old generation aircraft, so it doesn't fly uh, the same as a Mirage. Doesn't have fly by wire. 
uh, less powerful, less Gs. So uh, for, for us, even strikers, which are not really uh, used to flying air-to-air combat, it was quite easy to, to fly and probably very frustrating for them <laughs> uh, because even when we had the big tanks, uh, the Mirage 2000 was too uh, maneuverable and too powerful against uh, those type of aircraft. Uh, then you, you can fly the Alpha Jet. Uh, fight against the Alpha Jet was really difficult because uh, Alpha Jet is a really small aircraft, so you mm. see it really late. Um, and it's really maneuverable. Uh, so basically, if you fight in his flight envelope, which is around 200 to 50 knots, uh, you don't stand a chance because it's so small, it, it turns uh, really tight and, and you, you cannot uh, do anything against it. But So you need to maintain high speed. Uh, if you have a chance to keep more than 350, 400 knots, maybe you can uh, use your power against him and, and, and beat him, but it's difficult. Um, and then uh, when I did some international exercises, I was lucky enough to uh, to fly against the typhoon um, twice. I think I fought against uh, Italian typhoon. Um, uh, this is a funny story because they were. It was the beginning of the flying of the typhoon in Italy, I think. So they were still figuring it out, you know, how to use it, what capabilities he had, and so on. And it was a TLP exercise, and we were. Uh, usually when you do TLP uh, stuff, you're, you're flying blue air. Some people flying red air against you to try and train you, you know. But this time I was flying red air. It was my turn to be uh, in the, the red scenario and help the blue one train. And uh, the typhoon was on the blue side. And at one point in the scenario uh, with my wingman, we were supposed to uh, simulate a kind of defector that would use a, an airliner to cross the borders and go into uh, the other and the territory. So we had to fly close formation against uh, with another aircraft, which was a Piaggio P-180, something like that. So it's basically a, a turboprop aircraft with a funny aircraft because the, the propellers are behind the aircraft, in fact. Uh, so we were close formation on it. And the aim was to wait for the uh, the interceptor to come and, and do the VID because he need to see what uh, what's happening. He doesn't know exactly what's coming on. So uh, wait for him to go and VID you before uh, engaging it. So that's what we did. We waited for the typhoons to arrive. We saw one typhoon coming at us. So as soon as we saw it, we, we maneuvered. I, I, I rolled above the, the Piaggio to engage it. And my wingman did the same on the other side. And probably the typhoon was quite surprised by that and didn't know how to react uh, against two Mirage. And so he, he, he broke away and I was able to have a shot on him. So I was really happy. Of course, we died afterwards because his wingman was not far away. So that, that was over. But anyway, it was really fun for us. And it was because we were too slow. We couldn't do anything. So it was just bluff from our part, you know, to break towards him. And it worked. So I was happy. And another time I, I fought against, uh, I think it was a special. And this time it was a real fight, 1v1. And unfortunately, uh, it's a fifth generation aircraft. So basically, we, we, we didn't stand a chance against it because it's much more powerful. It's got two engines. It's uh, really maneuverable because of the, the high power it has. So uh, if it's full power and it goes to full capabilities, uh, we, we were not able to fight correctly against it. So it was a bit frustrating, but that's the way it is. Uh, the Typhoon is a new generation aircraft. Mirage is the, the generation, uh, the previous generation. So it's fair. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Brilliant. So let's talk about what the jet was like to fly and the strengths and weaknesses of the aircraft. 
Well, first, it's uh, I would say the major trends it has is the fly-by-wire system. It's really awesome, uh, even compared to uh, other jets. Uh, Dassault did something really amazing with uh, this fly-by-wire for the Mirage 2000. You can basically never lose control of the aircraft. Uh, whatever you do, uh, the aircraft is safe. And even if you go like this in the, the air and wait for it to fall, it will just fall nose down and that's it. You have you have controls again. So it's really brilliant. So that's a really a good uh, strength of the aircraft. Um, the maneuverability with go, which goes with it is, is nice. Uh, and for the air to ground version, I would say that uh, the GPS system is, is was good, the terrain following radar, which allows us to fly uh, 100 feet, 600 knots, nighttime in clouds and so on is really awesome, safe. So that's really nice. Um, weaknesses, I would say there's only one engine. So obviously now this is a weakness. Um, so even if it's a powerful engine, it's only one. So that's a problem. Um, and I would say basically the load that you can carry because since it was made to be an interceptor during the Cold War uh, and then it was modified to be a striker, it was not designed to be a striker initially. So uh, the only load that you can carry on the Mirage 1000D basically is uh, beneath the center of the aircraft because under the wings you have the fuel tanks and so that doesn't leave a lot of room to, uh, to carry a lot of weapons. So that's another thing that uh, was a bit of a weakness. It's been corrected now with Rafale, which can carry like uh, the same amount of, uh, of load than uh, three Mirage 2000D. You can carry it in one Rafale, you know, so that's been corrected. But at the time, uh, yeah. So can you talk us through the cockpit environment and did it feel modern at the time? Um, it's, it's kind of funny on the Mirage 2000D because it's a mix of both. You know, uh, if you see the cockpit of the Mirage 2000D, on the left side, you have a screen, a uh, glass cockpit. Um, in the center, you have the radar. So this looks kind of modern at the time, but on the right side, you have all gauges uh, and all systems because um, it was improved for the, from the Mirage 2000N and they kept some of the old uh, instruments. So don't know exactly why they, they did this instead of having two screens like in the Dash 5. Uh, I think it's a bit uh, because of the um, uh, terrain following radar mission because you you, you need to uh, monitor uh, at all time you need to monitor what's going on with the radar and if something goes wrong maybe they wanted to keep the old uh, instruments in order to be able to fly uh, in in the in at night or in the the clouds with old instruments like the old way you know okay but uh, so so it's kind of weird and in the back you had uh, full screen cockpit in the back so the navigator, he had uh, a bit more modern configuration. But f let's say for the uh, late 90s, early 2000, it was it was a quite modern aircraft, yeah. So what was your first squadron and where were you based? Um, my first fighter squadron, my only fighter squadron, in fact, was the 3-3 uh, squadron uh, in uh, Nancy airbase, so northeast of France. It's the uh, Arden squadron, we call it. Uh, the emblem is a white boar. I don't know if you saw it, this one. So on all our Mirage 2000D, we had a white ball on the on the fin, and so it was a fun squadron to be in at the time because uh, there was a lot of tradition uh, around it, and uh, we were a nice group of guys, really uh, friend together, and uh, it was nice, very nice squadron. And that's the only squadron I did, uh, tactical squadron I did, yeah. So did the squadron focus on one mission role uh, more than another? 
not really. The, the, there are three squadrons on the airbase in Nancy, and basically we we all did the same mission, which was mainly strike mission at first. But then we uh, we started a new mission, which became mostly our uh, primary mission is the close air support. Uh, at first, the aircraft was really designed for strike missions, so going into enemy lines, dropping weapons, and coming back. But because of the uh, different operations uh, happening around the world uh, after 2001, I would say, uh, we were more focused on, on close air support, so helping uh, ground troops uh, with uh, smaller bombs, but uh, maintaining the area above and, and using the laser pods to uh, find the targets and so on. So this became slowly our um, main mission, and so we started training more and more. We 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 started new exercises in uh, Solenzara uh, in Corsica, uh, where we started training with uh, ground troops uh, together, which we didn't do uh, before that. Uh, usually, uh, fighter squadrons they would train on their own. Now we were starting uh, training with the ground troops, uh, special operation forces. Uh, troops from uh, all our allied around uh, Europe, uh, USA also. Uh, so always talking to on the radio with them to uh, to work together. So it was really a different type of mission, but really interesting. On a human uh, basis, it was really interesting. And you mentioned uh, before that uh, you flew on a few exercises. Could you tell about tell us about this and what was it like working with other nations? Yeah, well, it's, it's always challenging because of, obviously because of the language, of course, yes. uh, but also because of uh, um, different ways of training, different aircraft, uh, different capabilities. So basically, I remember uh, three big exercises that I really enjoyed. The first one, I was uh, just combat ready pilot. So you don't know much when you're a combat ready pilot. You just follow your leader and you, you do what you're told. You try to do your best. And I was in Ma- Maple Flag in 2004. And at that time, there was nothing much going on in uh, in terms of operations. So all the squadrons were focused on training. And so this this uh, year, 2004, we sent a, a huge uh, load of aircraft, French aircraft, to a Maple Flag. There was like, uh, I think I remember four Mirage 2000N, four Mirage 2000D, four Mirage 2000C, um, and Mirage Fox 1 also. And uh, there in, in Canada, there was uh, Germans with the F4, uh, the uh, Dutch and, and Belgian with the F-16, there were Canadians with the F-18, there were Americans with the F-15, so like 80 aircraft in the air at the same time doing uh, big strike missions with air-to-air defense and so on. So it was really impressive, AWACS, air-to-air refueling and so on. And I was uh, flying uh, number four in a four-ship mission with uh, three leaders in front of me, and so I was I had to follow, understand what's going on, and, and with my uh, young navigator behind, uh, try to uh, not uh, mess it up, you know. <laughs> so it was really fun. And, and we were uh, allowed to fly uh, like we were not allowed to fly in France, meaning in France you train at 500 feet uh, and for 50 knots. In Canada you can fly at uh, 200 feet and uh, 550 knots, you know. So. You would you would fly the aircraft in a totally different uh, range of speed and altitude, so it was really impressive. Mm. And then I remember another exercise which was Air Warrior. So this is in in the U.S. 
And this was a CAS exercise. So uh, like I said, it's, it was going to become our new main mission. So we were training for that. And we went uh, in Louisiana to fly with the uh, special ops, the US special ops on the ground. And we were learning how to do uh, close air support missions in, uh, in urban environment. So they, they recreated a whole city, you know, in, in the desert, basically a whole uh, city with uh, houses, uh, buildings and so on. And the special forces would train on the ground in this fake city and we would uh, train cast missions above them to help them. So it was really interesting and impressive to see uh, what they could put on together to do a realistic training, you know. And the, the last one I can remember was uh, the Tiger Meet. Uh, I was mm -hmm. lucky enough to do it at the end of my uh, flying career on the Mirage 2000. And this was really impressive um, because everybody who likes aviation knows about the Tiger Meet because of all the, uh, um, the tra tradition there's around it, uh, the uh, social events and so on. But what's impressive to see is that uh, you have these social events in the evening with all the pilots dressed up, uh, having fun and so on. But in the daytime, everybody is training really hard with really difficult missions, you know, uh, with a lot of aircraft, a lot of preparation to do, uh, debriefing, which was really a tough debriefing to go through. So really impressive to see how it was done. Yeah. Did you ever fly on live operations? Yeah, a few times. Yeah, uh, French Air Force has uh, always been uh, a side with uh, to uh, to help uh, them out when they needed. So sometimes, yeah, it happened. So you also flew on a, um, a tactical le leadership program. Can you tell us about this? Yes, it's um, it's a NATO exercise uh, that takes place. Uh, several times a year, I think, and, and the aim for the air forces around Europe is to send pilots there, uh, usually quite experienced pilots, in order to uh, accomplish the, uh, the, the training, which gives you the uh, mission commander um, qualification, uh, allowing you to uh, uh, prepare, brief, and, and fly a mission with uh, allied um, fighter jets and so on. Um, and so it's really interesting uh, in terms of uh, professional uh, qualifications you can get with this. Um, and it's also really interesting because uh, you, you will fly like three weeks of uh, flights. Uh, you have your own aircraft, own technicians with you. Mm. Uh, you fly as a crew with your navigator. And there's only one mission a day, but you have uh, time to prepare it. And every mission is a step up. You know, uh, you start with a kind of easy mission and as far as you go, uh, you, you will have more and more difficulties uh, to prepare the mission time-wise because they compress the timing so that you don't have time to, uh, you don't have as much time as you would like to, uh, to prepare the mission. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you, you need to learn how to uh, uh, be efficient quickly. So using all the resources you have in front of you, uh, different uh, pilots, different aircraft, different capabilities and so on. So it's really interesting, uh, and everybody's in the same stress. Everybody wants to succeed. Everybody wants to help each other out. So it's uh, uh, usually when you finish the course, you feel like you've, you've made a bond with all the other pilots around you. You know, so it was really nice. And uh, the, the one I flew was in Albacete in Spain, and there were uh, pilots from Germany with a the tornado. There were, uh, I think, there were British Harriers. Uh, there were F-18 from uh, Finland, um, typhoons from Italy, uh, and uh, 
I don't know, remember everybody, but there was a lot of different type of aircraft. So that's really interesting. Every time you have a chance to fly with other aircraft, other pilots, it's always really uh, interesting. So it was a great time. It's an upgeat dream, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the, the, the parking uh, is awesome. When you look at this parking full of different aircraft, it's a spotter's delight. Oh, absolutely. So, Matthew, can you share maybe a few memorable stories from flying the Mirage 2000? Um, yeah, well, the, uh, obviously, I've already talked about the first flight. This, this is a big, big one. Uh, Maple Flag was uh, flying really low and fast. That was awesome. And there was um, one flight I remember was uh, when I was a young, young pilot. was not combat ready yet, so I didn't have a lot of hours on the Mirage 2000. And it was, uh, you know, like an open day on the airbase. Uh, there were families there, uh, people from uh, all around the area would, would be allowed to enter the airbase and see the aircraft and so on. And so we were supposed to fly um, regular missions, regular training that day. But we were asked at the end of the flight or beginning of the flight just to do a few, a few flyby, you know, on the airfield just for people to see the aircraft uh, from a closer and more impressive way, you know. Uh, and I, I was, uh, did, that time I was with a really uh, experienced leader, quite old leader from the squadron. And so he said, okay, uh, let's make some noise. So basically he took a young pilot like me with not much experience and he, uh, he, he did a, basically it was kind of a, a small uh, display, improvised display, you know. So he briefed me, uh, we're going to take off, you stay close to me, you follow me at all times, you, say, you do what I say basically and you just stay in position, you know. And, and he did the rest and so I was flying uh, in his wing and I remember seeing the airfield really close, really fast. And we did multiple pass and uh, one close formation in uh, line astern and different positions, you know, which was not usual at that time. And then we went uh, once we've done this, like maybe five minutes, I don't know. We went to go to do a combat training exercise together, combat mission, and it was a great time. And it was uh, one of the best flights I did on the Mirage 2000D. I remember uh, that it was, yeah, for me as a young pilot, it was awesome. And yeah, that's a nice memory. Uh, but basically, every time you fly in this jet, you, you cannot get uh, bored. I mean, you know, every time I, I, I did like 1,700 of it, uh, hours of it, and every time you do the walk around uh, and you turn around the jet before the flight, I had a smile on my face. So, so cool. So, yeah, no, it's great. So it never felt like, oh, God, I've got to go fly and like work. No, not on this one. No, no, not <laughs> on this jet, it was not, not possible. Uh, and the thing that helps is that in the French Air Force, when you're, you're a pilot like I was, you every three, four years, you change posting. So basically, you don't have time to get bored because every time you're, you're getting uh, use and, and experience somewhere, they change your position and you have to learn a new job. So that's when I, I had to... Uh, uh, go to be an instructor on the Alpha Jet. I had to change my way of flying, what I was doing. Then I went back to the Mirage, so I had the the chance to fly the Mirage again, um, and so on. So every yeah, let's say every four years, you you change your posting. So so you never get bored, basically. Yeah. So overall, did you enjoy your time flying it? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was a great experience. I miss it <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was really lucky to do basically what I wanted to do uh, with the jet. Uh, I got the qualifications I, I wanted to get. So um, yeah, I was lucky to fly in a time where there was a lot of exercises, as I said. So no, I, I felt really blessed with what I did with the jet. So I'm happy with it. Yeah.